Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. There's some damsels in the DM. Yes, queen. <laughs> Tell us what's the vibe. Uh-huh. What's the there's some damsels in the DM. Yeah. Yeah. Please tell us what's the vibe. DMs, DMs, yeah, we see them. Yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs, we don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Damsels in the DM. I'm Lauren. And I'm Ash. And we are here today with Dr. Brittany Wolford, who is a relationship psychologist. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm impressed that you got like Wolford without any like pauses or hesitation or anything. <laughs> I know it's a weird one. <laughs> Pretty good with names. Like usually I yeah. can figure it out. Yeah, people always butcher my name. So I try yeah. to pay more attention to other people's names just so I don't do it to them. That used to be like my biggest. So in grad school, I teach like undergraduate classes with like 70 to like 140 kids. And that would be like my biggest anxiety if I ever had to do like attendance because I'd just be like, mm. I'm going to butcher so many people's <laughs> names. And it is so important to be like mindful and be intentional around that. And so 100%. That was, I'd always have like anxiety so bad the day before that. So <laughs> funny. So we came across you because I think we were sharing one of your reels that you made on Instagram, which have been so inspiring and so informative. And, you know, there's so much misinformation on social media that it was so great to see somebody like you who has a doctorate in this and like works so hard to make sure you're providing useful information to people. So we really just want to hear a little bit about you and what inspired you to get into psychology and specifically targeting relationship psychology. So reels have become way too much a part of my life. It's really sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's really too much time doing it, but it's also fun. But yeah, so uh, relationships have kind of always been my thing. I have my like token story of what got me into like therapy and psychology and it actually was seventh grade and uh one of my friends Julie who's still my friend and I'm sure she loves that I always drop this story <laughs> of us a little like 13 year olds uh but she was having issues with our friend Drew who was not there was some unrequited love oh, and I was helping her through that and at the end she was like you should do this for a career and then I was like cool and so ever since Whoa, seventh grade, that's just kind wow. of been it. So, but um, I grew up in a military town and it's like one really interesting because it's just the like high masculinity um, in that environment yeah. and how that relationships are viewed through that lens and the like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like independence. And then also families that are going through deployments. So that's kind of the backdrop of me growing up and seeing a lot of interesting and difficult things in my own relationships and relationships and the people around me. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. So what town was that? The military town? So I'm from Silverdale, Washington. So that's oh, okay. a submarine base. And then right next to it is uh, the Bremerton Naval Base, which has like naval ships. And then um, there's big army base in Tacoma, Washington, which is like 45 minutes away. So it was just tons of oh, military wow. around there. <laughs> That's amazing. When I first saw the reels that you posted, I was so excited because attachment is one of the topics that I got super, super interested in. Um, 
probably this past summer when I was going through my own attachment issues and I read a book about it. And then ever since then, I've just been obsessed with talking about it. <laughs> did you read Attached? I did. Yeah, that it was the book. Amazing. amazing. Literally yeah, amazing. amazing. And I, I told everyone to read that book because it, it changed my perspective on um, my attachment or like my relationships that I'm in and just not having as much anxiety about why this person isn't texting me back or what's going on with this other person. And it's just, it all falls back down to your attachment styles, but we, and the listeners would love to learn more about attachments and what, you know, what you have to tell us about that. So I also, I didn't, I think it was just probably like two or three years ago, I read the book attached and so when you go to grad school, you kind of have to like pick your topic and that's how you write all your essays to say like, let me in. Um, Cause you're like research lab, the head of the research lab is what chooses you to come to that program. And so I was like trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I came across attachment. I was like, amazing, perfect. This is exactly everything I've been looking for. So ever since my last year of undergrad, I've been studying attachment thesis, doctoral dissertation, all of that. And then I read the book attached and was like, huh, <laughs> that made it a lot more easy to understand and a lot more practical. So I love that book and think that anyone who is dating should definitely read that book. But yeah, so it's the largest body of research we have on relationships. It just provides a context for us to understand, like you're saying, Ash, like our behaviors and relationships. I mean, take it at face value of it is like a personality test. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people too are like, well, I don't fit in this way or I don't fit in that way. And it's more, it's like, you know, the introvert, extrovert, who is all introvert, who's all extrovert. We can just see this as patterns of being and behaving in relationships instead of just like, I am this way and I'll always be this way and I'll always act this exact way in all of it. And why do you think it's important to understand your particular attachment style? And what do you think are like actionable ways that understanding mm -hmm. your attachment style can be applied to relationships that you're entering? Knowing our own behaviors allows us to like manage our own anxiety or times that we're like becoming obsessed with relationships or want to exit out of relationships. Um, it's allowing us to understand those triggers. So I don't know if the listeners know anything about attachment. Hopefully now they're going to be so excited about it. They'll <laughs> dive in. Um, but so typically we talk about like three attachment styles of secure, which is the one we want. And then anxious and avoidant anxious attachment. You're kind of always preoccupied with the, this idea of rejection um, of people leaving you or feeling abandoned. And then we have the avoidant attachment that is very independent independent, feels overwhelmed or like disliking of people who need things or want attention from them. There's another person I follow on Instagram who talks about as a relationship adaption. So we are adapting to our environment so that we can have, like we can feel safe or secure. So for some of the anxious attachment style, we don't want to be rejected or abandoned. So our brain is hyper-focused on anything that might possibly cause us to be rejected or abandoned. And then for the avoid attachment, right, our brain is wired to be like, I constantly have to take care of myself. I can't rely on others. So if others are going to be demanding of my time, it takes away my resources to take care of myself. So they're constantly scanning the environment for people that are going to suck their time out. So being aware of those two different things allows us to be able to be like, stop and question that reaction. So if we have an anxious attachment style and we're worried, why isn't someone texting me back? Then we can sit and be like, okay, it's been an hour. Maybe they are working out. Maybe they have work they're doing. Maybe they're on the phone with a friend. 
being able to kind of settle down that anxiety instead of sending them three follow-up text messages and a funny gif or something to try to test and see if they'll text us back or then avoidant attachment being feeling like overwhelmed and feeling like we need to pull away you know questioning that and saying like okay my values are that I want a relationship. Is this person being over demanding or they just want to be close to me and being able to choose to lean in or lean out depending on the actual facts of what's happening instead of our attachment system. Do you think our attachment style changes based on the person we're dating or talking to? Because I feel like I'm both a mixture of anxious and avoidant and it just depends on who I'm talking to currently? Yeah, I think that like, unfortunately, the research hasn't really updated or followed really how we can change too much depending on person to person. But practically, how many times I sit across the couch from someone and talk about this exact thing is constant. And I think it's that, you know, a lot of times too, we just label everything that's not a secure attachment is insecure. So anyone who is anxious or avoidant or both of those has insecure attachment. And at the base of that, it's just this fear of our needs not getting met. And so I think with that, like it might tend to come out in one direction, like anxious or avoid it more often. But I think just that baseline fear that our needs won't be met. So someone who's super avoidant, it's going to pull you to be more anxious or someone who's super anxious is going to pull you to be more avoidant to protect yourself. So I definitely think that that is way more common than research has ever been able to capture because there technically is a fourth attachment style where you're high in both of those, mm-hmm. but they say statistically it's a super small percentage of people. But I think most people who have an insecure attachment or are going through a difficult breakup or have been cheated on or going through any type of like relationship trauma, we're all going to have those different reactions at times. So yes. just for the listeners who might not know about different mm-hmm. attachment styles, do you think you could just talk really quickly about like some of the ways you can identify for yourself if you're anxious or avoidant or secure? Yeah. So secure attachment style, um, one way to look at it is I'm okay with me. I'm okay with others. So I trust myself. I know I'm lovable. I know other people are trustworthy and are here to help and support me. So we're able to just kind of have this ease of entering into relationships and having distance and having closeness. And then a good way to think about anxious attachment style is I'm not sure about me, but others have Mm -hmm. it all together. So I'm afraid that I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Others are going to leave me because they're so much better than I am thinking about that, like me and them. Um, Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. you think about if someone doesn't text you back, right? Some of the anxious attachment, I'm not sure about me. Others are awesome. The first thing they're going to think is there's something wrong with me that's causing them to not text me back. And then avoidant attachment is I'm good. I got everything together. Others are a mess. Is <laughs> um, kind of that, that dichotomy. <laughs> so if someone doesn't text them back, they're like, oh, well, what's wrong with that person? Why don't they want to text me back? Would be how they would view that interaction. Or why are they texting me back so much? They must be obsessed with me. <laughs> yeah. And then someone who has like a fearful attachment, that fourth one where you're have both anxious and avoidant tendencies is I'm not okay. Others are not okay. I am really terrified about life at all times because um, I don't feel like I can trust and rely other on others, but I also can't trust myself to meet my needs. So I know if that kind of helps. Yeah, that's a, a simple way of looking sure. at it. Of how do I view myself and how do I view others? Do you so feel like you see one type more than another? I think it, it kind of depends because as a therapist, you tend to attract people based on your own personality. Mm. So I lean more avoidant. 
And I love my avoidantly attached clients because they want to be in a relationship. It's just this like not knowing how to get close. I think that I see a lot of that therapy wise, but on Instagram, I feel like, especially because I've taken those little like polls in the story, more people who have more anxious attachment, which makes sense. Cause you yeah. know, it's easier to reach out. They're seeking more relationship advice. People with an anxious attachment style and people that avoid it attachment style. Do you think it's possible to change? So secure obviously is what we all want to aim to be right. How to have yeah. secure attachment styles. Do you think it's possible for someone with an anxious or avoidant attachment to slowly move into being more secure? And what are some tips that you could give to, you know, help those people get into a more secure attachment style? So that is the other thing that the really research has kind of changed on at the very beginning when they're first getting it, they're like birth to age three, your attachment style is set. That's how you're going to be for the rest of your life. And now we're seeing, right, that in different relationships, we can have these different attachment styles and we can, what we call as like earned attachment security. So if I start a relationship with someone who has secure attachment or someone who is going to therapy and is aware and willing to adapt their behaviors as well, um, we start learning that people are dependable. People are trustworthy. I am lovable. So that's how we start adapting it. One, choose healthy people to be in relationships with mm-hmm. because, you know, <laughs> <they'll love laughs> <everywhere. laughs> that's, that's the main problem. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the lovely way our brain works is we love to be attracted to people who are going to cause us to be more anxious or avoidant. <laughs> um, because the belief is that I, so if you have an anxious attachment style, your belief is I am not lovable. Other people are so much better than me. So to confirm that belief, we date people who tell us they're better than us and that they don't need us. Mm-hmm. And say reverse people who are avoidant is I'm cool. People really struggle to take care of themselves to confirm that belief. They date people who fit that category. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the lovely way our brain loves to work. So another reason, Lauren, to answer your question at the very beginning of how we kind of like perpetuate some of this is we we date people who kind of force us more in our more in our corner. So I think friendships are always friendships and family relationships are always a great, great way to start because we're able to practice some of these things in a more safe environment. Mm -hmm. So that we can see if we can trust them. We can see if us being vulnerable is something that they can handle that they're not going to use against us, um, that they're not going to overwhelm us. They're going to respect our boundaries. Practicing those things in relationships that have a little bit less risk is definitely a way we can start building that foundation. Also makes it so when we start dating people, we can start seeing those red flags of like, oh, wait, my friends think I'm cool and awesome and want to spend time with me. Like, why do I want to date this person that doesn't think that as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I've definitely seen that play out in my personal life because I was definitely an anxious attachment style when I was dating. Um, but I've been in a long-term relationship. And since that, like, I've definitely been able to be get more secure in my relationship. But I noticed that it's like since manifested itself in more friendships, like anxious attachment style with my friends sometimes mm-hmm. because I was bullied as a kid. And I think that I still have some insecurities there that I noticed that like that anxious attachment style manifests in friendships more than my relationship now. Yeah. And that's like uh, definitely the cool thing. I've had people read the attached book and they're like, yeah, now I see this in like my relationship with my coworkers and mm. with my friends and with my family. And we do, we use those same strategies in all those different areas. And it's really, it's a lot easier to see in romantic relationships, but then yeah. we start looking at our lens and our friendships and we definitely start start seeing that show up as well. Yeah. There was something else that you said in the beginning that I was really curious about in the area that you grew up was more like a masculine point of view on relationships. 
And I'd love to hear more about what you think about that and how like it's affected you in your life and also like how you've been able to flip the perspective on that and have a more worldly view of relationships since from where you grew up in. Statistically, you know, that men have the more avoided attachment and women have a more anxious attachment. I think that's more just how we're socialized than anything. I don't think that men or women are inherently going to be a certain way. I think men are told to be independent and women are taught more relationship skills and to depend on one another. So I definitely saw that in myself and my family. It was very much, I can just take care of myself. Other people are not trustworthy. Other people will not get things done. I actually figured it out myself. And then I got to grad school and it is, is not an easy thing to survive uh, yeah. five years of six years of grad school. And I learned that I could not do it on my own. And luckily my last year of undergrad, I really got these amazing friends, which helped me start building some of that attachment security of like, wait, no, I can depend on others. And that is a good and healthy thing. And so that really started challenging me in grad school. Like I can't do this on my own. Hmm. And I think this happens a lot for people to avoid attachment is that you get like this, like, know what word I want to use, but it's like challenges your worldview. So I went like super anxious in my dating life when I was like, oh, wait, no, I do want to rely on others. I do want relationship and connection. That's important. And then I went like, and like went totally across the spectrum. Um, it was definitely a lot more anxiously attached in a lot of my dating behaviors. And I'm currently partnered, but I wish that I knew all the stuff I know now when I was having more of that, again, that crisis of my attachment yeah. system going on during that time. And that's, I think, again, why I love working with um, avoidantly attached people, because that was very much a culture that I grew up in. And I love figuring out how to challenge that. And it's, it's really difficult. Whereas people who are anxiously attached are really engaged. Like, I want to change. I know this isn't good. Like I want to do better. I want more like connection and people who are avoidant. It's hard to get them to buy in that. Like, no, it's important. <laughs> keep yeah. trying, keep, keep connecting with others. Yeah. I always gravitate towards the avoidant. No, I don't want to. I do not want to date someone who has an avoidant attachment, but yeah. looking at all of the people that I've sp- talked to in the past or my past relationships, it's all been avoidant attachment people. And how would you advise someone to like find those signs? Cause they first come across as like super secure and, you know, like mm-hmm. amazing, genuine people. But then yes. like after a few weeks or a few months, you realize like that's not them at all. And they're actually really avoidant. So there's this other lovely thing that happens that people can a lot of times like hide like their attachment for like mm-hmm. the first like month and a half, three months. So yeah, a lot of times people seem really secure for those first, or even uh, I was talking with someone today, of like even the first date, like they just seem so gregarious and social and like secure and healthy and confident. And then even after that, you know, started acting avoidant, but they loved that first so much, uh, ignoring all of the red flags. Yeah. Um, going forward. Um, but yeah, so I always say the biggest thing is like slowing down the dating process, which again, I never did in my early mm-hmm. dating time. <laughs> uh, I used to like pride myself on the, like the six hour first date of like, see, they like me so much when we went on a date for six hours. But limiting your first couple dates to only a couple hours at a time. Um, one of the phrases I also like to use is dating in the daylight, where like continuing to actually mm-hmm. date each other, which our culture, we go on one date, grab a couple drinks, second date, get a little bit more drinks. And then third date, like go to each other's place for a movie night or dinner. And that just turns into like 
come over to each other's place and having sex, which is totally cool. If that's what you want to do, like, love it. Like, let's have sex all the time. But yeah. Like if you want to actually get to know them and be able to logically assess what is their attachment, we need to slow that down and start, you know, go to a farmer's market, go play mini golf, go to an ice cream shop during the day, go to a coffee shop during the day, um, go do these other activities of actually dating each other, which we tend to not do as much so that by the time we're a month and a half in, we've gone on, you know, four dates. And we spend a lot of time getting to know each other. And so you can kind of start to see those attachment behaviors start Mm -hmm. popping out. Also the, which again, I'm all about like, if you want to have sex on the first date and you want to have as much sex as possible, you want hot girl summer, love it, (laughs) do it. I want to celebrate it. But when we're trying to start a committed relationship, the hormones that are involved in that are going to make it more difficult for us to like logically assess that. And actually, usually a lot of times the people who are like the opposite attachment as us are a lot more sexually attractive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when we lean into that, again, it makes it really hard to get that emotional sexual connection to them. And it's hard to like see these little red flags that we may have noticed if we weren't doing that. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Again, things I wish I knew when I was dating more that I did not do, (laughs) let me tell you. But things that I'm recognizing that, you know, fit so much with attachment and what my clients are experiencing and how different the experience is when people start having their emotional intimacy and physical intimacy go at the like same rate, Mm -hmm. Um, how different that looks unfolding into a relationship. Yeah. Cause I'm single right now and I want to obviously find a long-term partner, but it's just been really hard, especially living in LA. The quality of people here haven't been the best, but then I don't want to just blame it on a city and the people. So yeah, I am trying to like use this opportunity to date around and see, you know, like find that secure attachment style. But because I have such a strong, anxious attachment style, I get attached to someone. Like, even if it's like only two days of knowing them. So what are like some tips to like get over that attachment and like to stop getting so attached over just like one amazing like date that the person just used to be like, really genuine and amazing and like use that opportunity to be like the best person they could be actually posted a reel today literally on this <laughs> love that uh but yeah so again it was just talking about like slowing it down only going on one date per week um monitoring how much you're texting them or calling them keeping a strong like social connection so making sure that even if you're like dating you're going on friendship dates as well mm-hmm. and hanging out with your friends so that we're getting some of that nice serotonin from them as well uh, what was the third thing that I posted oh and then not being overly vulnerable or oversharing in those first several dates because that will also like okay got it starting from square one (laughs) well and what that is is like again if we think about like our brains and us logically as humans when we're vulnerable it causes us to connect like that's the purpose of vulnerability if we can share something with an uber driver it's not well depending on who you are some people (laughs) over disclose to uber drivers as well Uh, but if you can Yeah. Uh, but if you can say it's an Uber driver, it's not something that is going to really deepen your emotional relationship with your partner, but things that are more vulnerable are meant to connect us. So first date, it should not be anything vulnerable. It should just be like, let's talk about the weather and what beers you like and keep it very surface and just see if you actually like 
is this person like a decent human that I want to get to know more? That should be the only goal of the first date. And even the second date, like you just want to go like one level down of vulnerability and just kind of keep testing the waters and see if they're trustworthy to keep doing that with. Because I know something else that was a wonderful thing that I did a lot is when men would be vulnerable with me in the first couple of dates, I'd be like, oh my gosh, finally, as someone who doesn't have an avoidant attachment style, like they're being vulnerable, we're connecting, it's great. And then like a month later, they are ghosting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly so someone being vulnerable <laughs> is also not a sign that they have a secure attachment early on. See, that's what I thought. I met someone and then he was like, so I literally said it to his face. I was like, you have secure attachment style. Like I've been like looking for this. And cause he just felt like he was super vulnerable, opened up to me, like was talking about um, love languages and like all of this stuff and like self-help. And it was just like, wow, I, you know, I've never met someone who actually cares mm-hmm. about like self-help and talks about therapy. And two days later ghosted or not two days, but like a month later ghosted. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, like I said, I definitely have done that several times myself as well. But the other thing too, right, that I like to provide encouragement on is that the most common relationship pairing is anxious and avoidant. That that is typically the two people end up in relationships together. So this is not something that can't work. Even if you two have those opposite, you just both have to be able to recognize it and work on it. A lot of times it ends up being some of the anxious attachment style knows all this stuff is going on. So when the avoid attachment style is like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're the one with problems. Go to therapy. That's usually what <laughs> happens that would cause the relationship to end. Yeah. But if both of you are willing to work on it and make changes, then it definitely can work. And you can end up like Lauren with, you know, earned attachment security in a relationship. Oh, that, there's so many issues. Don't use me as the role model here. <laughs> I mean, every, every relationship does have its own, <laughs> own pile of issues. I'm curious if like, especially during the pandemic or just in general, if you hear certain things coming up a lot with your clients, like what the most common relationship mistakes are. And if like more have came up since the pandemic. I think going back to what we were talking about earlier is that like, going to each other's place too early and just it starts being you just come over to each other's place and it's like a relationship before you've actually dated is that now we're at the point and knock on wood that we're not going to get too much into this point again but yeah it's not not looking too hot right now uh yeah. but we're at the point where you know that might be the only thing we can do soon where you're not able to go out and do as many things there's only so many times you can go on a like walk and talk coffee date yeah uh, so I think that's difficulty or people not wanting to date because they're not wanting to like go over to people's houses you know I've had a lot of people where they're like I'll just wait for like the pandemic to kind of go by a little bit and then I'll start dating. But then we had hot girl summer and no one wants a committed relationship. <laughs> and we're going to enter cuffing season and we're going to be locked down and everyone's going to be <laughs> a mess again. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's one of the biggest like hurdles too, is like, how do we date when there aren't that many options to go to restaurants or bars or do activities that are indoors at all. And then navigating people's vaccine and mask consciousness or level or safety or all those pieces, I think throws a whole nother like wrench into the whole dating aspect right now too, is like navigating what that looks like when people at different levels of that, even with people who are in relationships. I know that's been a real strain and divorce, I think was like up 300% over the pandemic as well when people had to like slow down and just spend time with one another, some of those issues just became a lot larger than they were before. 
I've been hearing a lot about breakups during the pandemic. Like first there were breakups during the pandemic with people spending too much time together. But then secondly, I've been hearing about people who got together in the pandemic. And now that the world is like kind of having this weird mm-hmm. phase where we return to normal, even if it might get taken away, but we were in this phase where things were normal. People were breaking up because they now felt like they could go meet other people and they didn't need to be so dependent on like having one person at home. Yeah. I think like during the middle of the pandemic, I'm like, I'm so afraid for what happens when that, when we're out of the lockdown. <laughs> and people who, you know, probably love avoidant people who, you know, are like, oh my gosh, I have this only one person I can spend time with in my little like bubble. And now they have more options and more freedom. So yeah, I think that that's going to be the second, second wave of breakups and divorces. Like, yeah, now we got together, we got a puppy and now we have this puppy and no relationship. (laughs) I don't know what to do. How sad. This is just, it's so, after reading that book, I was actually nervous about, Mm. you know, like meeting people and then about these, like, because it said that all of the single people basically are mostly avoidant and anxious. And there's not that many secure people that are single because they're secure. They, you know, they usually are in those long-term relationships and have found their person. So I was very nervous because I'm like, wow, I'm in a pool full of people like me and avoidant people. So this is going to be great for dating, (laughs) especially in LA, who are full of probably the avoidant attachment styles. (laughs) Yeah. So I will flip the flip the script and bring some positivity to this. Oh, we love that. Yes, please. We need it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so if we think about it statistically, if people who are avoidant are less likely to be in committed relationships are more likely to have short-term relationships, they're more likely to be in the dating world because they're ending relationships more quickly. Same thing with people who are anxious, right? So yes, that might mean that there's more, but about 60% of the population is secure is what they say. Oh. Most people are secure. And oh, wow, I can shocking. tell you every therapist. That's really shocking. Yeah. Yeah. And I can tell you every therapist I know is full right now. So people are getting therapy more than ever right now. So hopefully it means that they're gaining more insight that even if they fall into one of those categories, they now are more aware of that or wanting to challenge that or challenge themselves. And then also we've used as like a personality type, there are strengths to it as well. So someone with an anxious attachment style is very loving and caring and giving. They're about community building and relationship building. It's going to be great to have a friend who has an anxious attachment style because they're going to be very concerned about your needs and making sure they're great, loving and caring friend. If you have an avoidant attachment style, it means that you're very independent and probably have got gained a lot of success on your ability to just rely on yourself and not have to rely on others. And probably throughout the pandemic have fared a little bit better because you're used to being more independent. So there are strengths <laughs> to even if you lean towards these tendencies a little bit more. And then, you know, you always can change. There's always room for that. It's definitely something that can happen, especially if you're listening to this podcast and now know all this information and can make changes. Well, with that, I feel like it's time we get into today's letter. Ash, do you want to read it or you want me to read it? I would love to read it. You go for it, Ash. Okay. <laughs> Dear damsels, I'm a 27-year-old semi-successful girl in sales, and I went on a date with a guy who's my age, handsome, and a surgeon. Pretty much every girl's type, which I'm sure he knows, but he was not cocky at all and gave off genuine guy vibes. Let's call him Ben for context. 
basically we really hit it off. I think where it went downhill is when we ended up going three different bars and drinking a lot of tequila, but more on that later. At the last bar, a guy even came up to us and said we were a cute couple, which was funny to us. Anyways, Ben got pretty touchy-feely at the last bar and was saying things to me like, you're the prettiest girl I've ever seen and stuff that made me think he was really into me. That said, we were both wasted. However, I didn't hear from him after our date for five days. But what I really wanted to know was, did I get sloppy drunk and say something dumb to make him not want to text me? Is he even interested in me slash does he want to go on another date? Or was that just a fun one-time date that I should move on to the next? Sincerely, diagnosed with drunken love. <laughs> Ooh, It sounds like a I lot like- of post-alcohol anxiety, which I yeah. certainly have never experienced. <laughs> nope, never. <laughs> totally secure. What happened? What did I say? <laughs> when you thought you were so smooth the night before, and then you wake up in the morning, yeah. and you're like, oh. <laughs> My goodness. That was word vomit too, I feel. (laughs) I definitely have experienced this was much longer also and I I can solve it. (laughs) Right, I don't know how many times like uh, I've been more vulnerable or disclosed more than I ever would be comfortable on a first date when tequila (laughs) has been involved. Yeah, (laughs) tequila changes everything. (laughs) Yeah. So Brittany, do you want to go first and give this lovely damsel some advice? So I feel like it's going to be controversial, but I think it'll just be fun to talk. I don't know if a surgeon cannot have an avoidant attachment. Like, I feel like if you're a surgeon, like you kind of have to believe I'm better than like most people. And I don't think everyone else can do this. Like only I can do like, you have to have a little bit mm, right. of that, like, I don't know. I don't know. What do y'all think? Do you think you can I, be a surgeon? I hope her? they do, to be honest. Cause like, I hope they're so confident that they can save me right now. That's the right. kind of energy I need somebody who's operating me to have. <laughs> Yeah. And I also feel like surgeons go to become a surgeon because then they don't have to deal with, you know, like the actual patient face to face and deal with the post care. They're just literally there to do surgery and not have that build that relationship with a patient. So that I don't know about the whole secure uh, attachment style if we're talking about surgeons (laughs) and doctors. No. My my schooling and being a doctor was all about relationships. So a little there you different. Go. I also, yeah, yeah, that's different. I don't know if this is important or not, but one of the things that I cut out is also this is an Ivy League surgeon. Okay. So. Chances are low. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have an avoided attachment. <laughs> but I think so with the like slowing it down piece, again, if you want to go like have fun, date, get drunk, drink lots of tequila, go bar hopping love it about it do it but again the alcohol piece is what makes it so we can't really see that attachment stuff coming out we may over disclose and we don't mean to and then we feel really vulnerable we have a vulnerability hangover as long as regular hangover um so I would say like hang around like two drinks so that we can like have that logic part of our brain still working a little bit to be able to test like is this like a healthy person for me to continue being on a date with or be able to test those waters a little bit better and then to the end of it like if you're wondering if this is just a fun day thing like reach out to him yeah say like I want to have another date and then if he goes to then then you have your answer. Yeah. So yeah, it I, sounds like for this person though, that they did reach out after the okay. five days. So yeah. I guess like what I would want to know, and I think this is, you know, Brittany, you could probably answer mm-hmm. this. Like, does it matter if in relationships you have that consistent texting 
Or do you think that like, if somebody like does eventually reach out to you, like, you know, he's a surgeon, maybe he's busy. I'm sure he is busy. Do you think that that's okay? Or do you think that like, if you go on a date and the date goes well, like you should be hearing that kind of immediate follow-up. I think that's the hard piece because it's really easy to start excusing that away. Like he's a surgeon, like, of course, he's probably busy. But in five days, he hasn't had 10 minutes to text you back. Mm. That's where like no one that I've ever talked to who is really invested in finding a relationship would not find the 10 minutes to text that person back. I don't think that you need to be texting them all day long. You need to reply in a certain amount of time. But if I have a client where they went on a date with someone and they never text in between the dates and there's like, they say like, oh, let's meet up on Friday and say it's Monday. And then they don't talk until that Friday. That's kind of consistent. My gut would be that 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 person is probably more avoidant. But I think it's like finding that balance. And then I commented on someone who posted or commented on the reel today where it's like, well, it's with all this texting constantly. People don't know like what, what is the proper amount of texting is texting, you know, once every three hours. Okay. Or should you not send a text like every hour? Do you count the minutes they texted you and then text Mm. them back double that amount? Mm. (laughs) Um, Yep. Right. And so (laughs) (laughs) that one (laughs) feel feel personally attacked on that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think it like can be based on age. It can be based on social upbringing, based on culture, based on past dating experiences that, you know, maybe you're texting too much or maybe you're texting too little. So always just being like upfront, open, being like, Hey, like when I'm first starting to date someone, I don't like to text as much, but I'm still interested in continuing to get to know you. I just, you know, I'm not that avid of a texter. That's a perfect thing to say. Mm -hmm. Or say, you know, when I'm first starting to date someone, I would like to talk to them a little bit more just so I can get to know you. Can we text more? Being able to say that. And I don't like to, you know, be so gender normative, but just because I do (laughs) hear this question from a lot of my female friends in particular, like, do you think it matters if let's say this is a heterosexual relationship and the male does not text like for the female participant to write that first message. Do you think that that taking that type of initiative is fine? Because I have a lot of friends who like for, you know, example for this person who didn't get a text for five days, like, do you think that in that text, like she should be waiting for that person? Or do you think it's fine to just make the first move? I have two, two initial like reactions to that. Mm -hmm. First part is we live in a society where, you know, I definitely heard men say that when a woman texts first, it makes them seem desperate, um, Mm. you know, all these things. So we always have to be aware of what our social culture is and not just ignore it. So yes, there might be some people that will have views that like, maybe you're more like desperate or clingy or any of those negative terms we apply to women who are assertive about their needs. Um, But right, so we have to know that we're in that context but do we want to date someone who would be really that turned off by us texting them first? And maybe, maybe you are more gender normative as well. And you want the man to take more initiative Then, like, yeah, then that that's something that you value and that's okay if you want to wait as well. But I say, yes, of course, if you want to text them, I don't see anything wrong with that. If you're constantly the person initiating it, then again, either they're not that interested or they probably do have an avoidant attachment style. And so checking that, but I think, yeah, after a first date, if you want to be like, Hey, you know, I love hanging out with you. Can we go for a second date? You know, it's perfectly okay. And if a guy has a problem with that or thinks you're desperate then that's their own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Then you don't want to be with someone like that in the first place. Or maybe you do again. Right. And then yeah, true. that's for yourself to decide Then you don't text first because you want more gender normed relationship mm-hmm. interactions. So to answer her question, was that just a fun right. one-time date or should she move on to the next? So she gets a text five days later. What do you, what do you think is the move? So yeah, I think this is like the hard piece where like, again, maybe it was a one-time thing where he, you know, was super busy, forgot about it or, you know, knew that he wanted to text her and was making sure he did a couple of days later. I think I would on the first shot, give it another try, but be aware. So the same mm. thing, whenever a red flag pops up, it doesn't mean end the relationship. Some red flags it does, but um, mm. you know, with red flags that pops up, be more curious about it. You know, you can even ask him like, Hey, I haven't heard from you in a, you know, a couple of days, you know, what was going on there? Or were you interested? Like, you know, you can ask more questions about it or plan to go on another like day date where you're not drinking yeah. as much and see if it has that type of chemistry. Um, my guess would be he would text back in five days and then say something to kind of like breadcrumb it where he'd be like, hmm. Oh yeah, no, I had fun too. Like we should definitely do that again sometime and then not text her back for another week and a half. But if he's like, yes, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I've been busy last five days. I enjoyed our date. Let's go on another one. That would be different. So just even also assessing the context of what that text was five days later. So you're saying in your professional opinion, two drinks (laughs) only and no tequila shots. (laughs) Yeah, if you want to have a night where you kill the tequila and you have tons of fun all for it but if you're wanting to really engage that logic part of your brain and assess if they're a good dating partner then I would say skip the tequila shots that's going to be tough for some of our listeners but (laughs) (laughs) or have the date go home have some tequila shots or have the date have your friends meet up with you two hours later. So you end the date mm. in two hours mm. and then take lots of tequila shots with them. And you get that's the decompress session. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Love yeah, that. That's a phenomenal idea. <laughs> so you don't have to cut out the tequila shots, just like manage when you have those tequila shots. Responsible tequila shots. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Brittany, thank you so much. Do you have any other um, amazing advice, any final thoughts to leave our listeners with? No, this was a lot of fun. I love talking nerdy relationship stuff. So thank you all for having me on and going, diving into some of these different topic areas. And can you tell the listeners before we say our goodbyes where they can find you? So I do most of my like posting if you want more information on Instagram. So if you, my handle is Lone Wolf Psych. P-S-Y-C. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and for all of your amazing wisdom. Thank yeah, you. thanks for having me on. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much to tuning in to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. Until next time. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Bye. DMs, DMs. We don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.